Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Verse 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, he's talking about, after offering one sacrifices for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For one, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. That is you and me who are followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this for after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Verse 19, therefore, therefore, as we know in the Bible, therefore is, that tells us that the next part is to tell us what the previous part was, therefore, so if you forget that, therefore, in light of everything, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and, a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us, let us number two, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is Faithful And number three, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Head over to Ephesians chapter 4. Starting at verse 7, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself... Gave, in some of your translations, it'll make it a little bit more clear. Gave these gifts. And what are they? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature Measured by Christ's fullness, that then, uh, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching 
by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Well, we're going to take some time in the next few minutes to talk about these passages of Scripture, how they relate, but I would imagine that even as I look at all of us here today, uh, most of you have a sense of biblical background enough to kind of get a sense of where we're going with this. But before we talk about that, let me just ask you a question, maybe to spark your interest in what we want to talk about as we continue in this series called Life on Mission Together. If you ask a hundred random people the question, what is a church? You will probably get a hundred different answers. Some people talk about church. If you say, like, what is a church? They will talk about church in regards to a building or a facility. Like, what is a church? Oh, it's that big white one off of 169. No, you know, one, 101, you know, church, churches. Oh, that, 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 the, the one I grew up in with the pews that creaked when you sat in them. And you're like, oh, right. That's with the narthex, you know, right. That's, that's what we think of when we think of church. Some, some, maybe they have like a, a little bit better understanding. They know church is not a building. So they, but, but they, but they talk of church as an event. Or, or it's a specific day of the week or a location. Oh, what is church? Well, you know, church is the service. You know, church is what happens when, you know, a band plays and a preacher preaches and, uh, church is Sunday. Or if your Seventh day Adventist church is Saturday. Uh, or, you know, church is a location, right? The, the building. It's, 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 so it's all these things. Some will talk about church as an institution or organization. Like, what's church? Ah, an evil organization meant to, you know, restrict people's views and small-mindedness and blah, blah, blah. You know, or it's that organization of a a cult, right? Or, you know, if you you ask people who are more negative about the church. But they'll think of the church. They will describe the church in terms of, of this kind of organization or institution that exists to maybe at its best to practice certain kinds of liturgy or traditions. So the question is, though, maybe to ask yourself, is what is the church? Like, what is the church? In the New Testament, some of you know this, the word for church is what? Do you know? Anybody know? Anybody know? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Now, I'm not here today to help you learn in growing in Greek because none of us use Greek on an everyday uh, occurrence. But it's important to kind of take a look at this every once in a while because words matter, don't they? Words matter. And in the days of the early church, this word, ecclesia, was simply used to describe a gathering or an assembly of people. But it was also a word that was being redefined by the people who were calling themselves followers of the way, ecclesia. They was redefined by the people of God whose lives were defined by so much more than just gathering 
or assembling. Ecclesia in the first century in, the, in light of this movement of the followers of the way, now meant more than just a gathering or assembly, but ecclesia meant a people embracing faith in Jesus together. Ecclesia meant a people radically practicing Christ-like humility, generosity, mercy, justice, and grace. Ecclesia meant that there was a people who were preaching the good news of Jesus, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything the Lord had commanded. Ecclesia. And so as we dive into our text for today, we'll see that this ecclesia was not just the outflow of enlightened minds, this idea of being the hands and feet of Jesus, of showing mercy and justice, wasn't just the idea of enlightened minds that have somehow grown out of this, you know, uh, neo type of like, or, you know, caveman-like mentality and they've grown, no, but this was inspired by the person of Jesus who demonstrated and who, who, who showed them what it, real love looks like and what grace looks like and what, what it means to gather, what it means to live life on life. And so this, this, as we dive into the text today, we need, to, we'll see how this was not just the outflow of human thought, but it was a direct result of the people of God obeying the commands of God who would live life engaged in community as disciples of Jesus. Now, before we get to that, allow me to give a working definition for what the church is today. So if you're looking for a working definition, this will be the definition for the day. The church is a community of people established by the grace of God that lives on mission together for the purposes of God by the power of God. So a church is a community, say this again, of people established by the grace of God that lives on mission together for the purposes of God by the power of God. So the grace of God, the purposes of God, the power of God. You don't have a church if the grace of God isn't there, the purpose of God is not leading, and the power of God is not with that fellowship. That is not a church. That is just a gathering of people. But the church is a community of people established by the grace of God that lives on mission together for the purposes of God, for the power, by the power of God. So now, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about the necessary need we all have as human beings for community, right? And as we talked last week, there are practical reasons why every human being is better for engaging in community with others. Reasons that would help increase the quality and the trajectory of your life, even if you didn't attribute the principles that we talked about last week as being biblical. If you just said, I'm going to take these ideas of being in community with people as preventative rather than reactive, and I'm not really going to give credit to the scriptures, but it's a really good idea. And so I'm going to have some friends and you know, people in my community to help me when I need it. And that, that you, your life will be better. There's practical reasons why embracing life in community with other is actually good for your life. Practical reasons. And those of us who are older and wiser know that community is a thing that all of us need, but it is something we have to cultivate it before we need it. It's something we have to cultivate. 
And, and a community is also the one thing that many people do not have when they need it most because many people wait. <laughs> they wait to long for it when they realize they need it. And that's too late. And so community is practical value. That's what we talked about last week. But community, as I want to talk about this week, is that community has spiritual value. Community has spiritual value. There are scriptural reasons and principles for why every person needs to be in community. Unfortunately, the spiritual benefits of community require a belief, yes, amen, a belief in and practicing of these principles that we're going to be talking about today in order for the benefits to be realized, okay? So there are some benefits to community that are spiritual, but if you want to realize those benefits, what we're going to be talking about today is something that you yourself, and I would even go as far as saying we as a church, we have to wrestle, like, do we really believe this to be true? And do we want to actually live our lives in line with what we just have heard from God's word. Because otherwise, just to listen to it and not believe it and live it out, just to do that is, is, is like going to the movies, okay? You, you go, I paid my money, I saw Spider-Man No Way Home, cried at the end, can't believe all three of them were there, and then, uh, oops, shoot, if you haven't seen it, well, too late now. My bad. Uh, I meant, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's what I was talking about. What were you thinking? <laughs> I'm heavenly minded. Um, today I want to touch on the principles that help those who have decided to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus. Is that you this morning? That's you. I want to help us understand why community is an undivorceable partner in the journey of discipleship. Or as one church father famously said, he cannot have God as father who does not have the church as mother. If you're someone who maybe has struggled to see how being a follower of Christ makes a practical difference, I have been one of those type of people. Maybe because... The Christians you have known don't really seem any different than those in your circles of influence that are not religious. If that's you, then today is a great day to listen in to hear how the scripture teaches what exactly is distinct about being a follower of Jesus. Like, like what is the difference among the practical difference? I know there are people I know that aren't Christians that have community, and they have healthy community. In fact, some of the healthiest people I see who have community are people who are not part of the church. They've got a great community. So what's the difference? Well, today, I'd love for us to take a look at what the Scripture proposes that difference is, and then <laughs> dare us, dare us to look like that. Hebrews 10 Hebrews 10, as we took a look at that, we find one of the clearest frameworks for community as discipleship. And that's the title of today's message, Community as Discipleship. And I couldn't find any other clearer passage regarding community as discipleship, I think, than, than Hebrews 10. I was caught between Hebrews 10 and Ephesians 4, and so I just decided we're just going to read them both. 
Now, Bible scholars and preachers throughout the centuries have pointed to Hebrews as a clear, focused command towards community over and over and over again. And in particular, I kind of drew a little bit of attention to this, but there is this phrase that occurs over and over that Bible scholars recognize and preachers have used to make three points because there's three of them. But the let us, as we look in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, let us draw what? Near. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold on. And then Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another. What's the key, key component in this passage? It's the phrase, let what? Us. Us. Now, before we even really get into this, it's imperative to note that the writer of Hebrews establishes the foundation of what makes living God's command for discipleship in community possible. He, the reason why we didn't start just at verse 19, the reason why we started at verse 11, is because the, the writer here establishes something very foundational that we, well, the original readers knew, and he was just reminding them, but we, by God's sovereignty, had preserved this so that we could take the journey of being, whether it's for the first time, exposed, or maybe we know this, but being reminded of what is the foundation, where is the power that comes from living life in community life. So where is this coming from? Well, before the instructions to live life in community as discipleship, the writer first establishes that God was the first to show love, mercy, and grace by sending his son Jesus so that every person, not just the priest, could have access to the Heavenly Father. This language is, I don't have time to go into the all, all the language, but this is what you need to know. In verse 11, every priest stands day after day, ministering, offering the same sacrifices, talks about this idea that, that before Jesus, it was on us. And then he goes on to say, now he is waiting. He is waiting for his enemies who made his foot, footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are to be sanctified. In other words, Jesus has paid the price. God sent his son so that we could be saved and that our sins can never be held against us. This is important to, to realize. Before we talk about like what does real community look like, if you try to talk about community without understanding what God has already done to us and for us, we will just offer ourselves a lot of good ideas and actually, we will all differ in how community should look like. And so there has to be something that unifies us. Well, that thing is what Jesus has done. In other words, before the writer of Hebrew talks about how we're, Hebrews talks about how we're supposed to pursue discipleship in community, he establishes that everything God has called people to is something he has already done for us. Everything that God has called us to he has already done for us. Nothing that we are being asked to do isn't something that God hasn't either done himself or through the person of Jesus has demonstrated in life on this earth. He's shown us the way. And this is important because the primary focus of discipleship in community is actually, and some of you will be like, wait, I thought you said last week it was, but I'm here to, that was the practical reason for community. I want to talk about the spiritual reason. And, this, and if, you, if you take a look at the spiritual reason for community, 
the primary focus of community as discipleship is not about sharing your life. You know, some people, that might sound weird, like, that's what I thought it's about. You know, you talk about like transparency, authenticity, that happens in community. But the primary focus of community is not actually the ability for you to share your life. The primary focus of discipleship in community is actually first and foremost sharing Jesus who is alive in us and working through us. Because see, that is a better kind of community when you share Jesus in you. Because I know this, I've been in communities where I've shared me. That's not a good thing. Because <laughs> me sounds like complaining sometimes and sounds like gossip and sounds like seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness. But Jesus working through me, guarding my heart, when I put on, when I clothe myself with gentleness, humility, all the attributes of who Christ is, then you've gone from community as just what the world defines to now community as discipleship. In fact, I believe that people think that evangelism is challenging today because they think they're trying to give people Jesus, but what they're really doing is they're trying to give people themselves. They think that evangelism, in the evangelism, they think they're trying to give people Jesus, but really what they're doing, and the reason why it's so hard is because they're telling people, look, believe what I believe. Think what I think, act how I think, act like how I act, do the things that I do. And then we get, we wonder why it's so hard to make people like Jesus, me, Jesus. It's because we have somehow convinced ourselves that our selfish pursuits, not only for community, but even the idea of sharing the gospel is about, at the end of the day, us and not Jesus. And we've got that wrong. And I think we need to recapture that at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. We should be careful not to forget what makes us a church is God. Like, we're a church because of God, not because we gathered, not because you give and we can have this, not because you serve and we can do this. We are a church because God. It goes back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, what? God. And what He has done and what He is doing and what he promises to do, and us existing for the mission of God in the world. That is what makes us a church. God, what he has done, what he is doing, and he promises to do, and us existing for the mission of God in the world. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote to them because he wanted them to understand this principle, before he talked about really a passage that poignantly talks about the power of the church as a community working together to do good. In Ephesians 4, verse 7, it says this, Ephesians 4, verse 7, it says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. He establishes a new thought. He goes, now, so it's so, Hey, listen up. Now, each one have been established because of Christ's gift. What's Christ's gift? Ephesians 
3 tells us what? You've been saved by faith, not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. Paul is teaching what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, and what the writer of what we now call the book of Hebrews was communicating, that without a deep understanding and belief in the sovereignty and the grace of God, through Jesus, all of our efforts are in vain. This is also why the first command towards community as discipleship that our passage in Hebrew says this, verse 22, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. According to the writer of Hebrews, community is discipleship because the community of faith is how we draw near to God. Let us draw near. Community is how we draw near to God with confidence. How we grow in gaining, quote, a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ. Salvation is a very personal aspect of your life. It is a surrendering. You, me, personally, surrendering your life. I can't surrender your life for Jesus any more than you can surrender my life to Jesus. It's very personal. But don't misunderstand me as saying that a person is saved because they choose to be in community with other followers of Jesus. No person is saved by being part of a community. But, here's the point. Every saved person is saved into community. As many Bible scholars note, the writer of Hebrews gives instructions to draw near to God with the prerequisite that they have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. That's, a, that's what that sprinkle talks about, the, the idea of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. There's a lot of Old Testament uh, Hebraic imagery, and we don't have time to go into all that. It's super interesting. If you want to go into that, let me know, and maybe we'll do a series on Old Testament stuff. But anyways... What you need to know is that that's about this representing this idea of sprinkling of the blood. And then he talks about the washing of our bodies of the water. Did anyone know what that probably alludes to? Baptism. That's right, baptism. Baptism is simply what? The outward declaration of your faith and commitment to Jesus. And it's the symbol, by the way, baptism is also the symbol of acceptance into the family of God expressed in a local community of faith. Some of you know this, that uh, in the Old Testament, if someone who is not part of the tribe of Israel, if they wanted to become part of the tribe of Israel, what did they need to do? There was this time and period they had to do certain things, but it was culminated in this washing. And so baptism, as we know it today, is rooted in the Jewish tradition of seeing someone who was not part of the family of God become part of the family of God. And it was this ritual that basically said, I want to be part of this And those who held it, the Israelites said, and we accept you as part of this. So baptism is more than just professing your faith in Jesus. It's saying, I want in, in this community. And it's your community alongside of you going, yeah, this person's one of us. This is why we, like the early church did, believe that corporate worship and prayer And gathering are essential to maturing in faith. Because when you join a community with clarity, you are choosing to include yourself into a rhythm of corporate prayer, corporate gathering, 
corporate studying of God's word, of drawing near to God in the most biblical way. Let us, not only do our communities gather to pray for one another, but there is a commitment to be there for each other, to pray without ceasing. Whenever prayer arises, if you're, I, I, I drew allusion to our app because I've just, I've seen how like the, our, our app has just been really, really great for us to, to engage with one another with prayer requests and, and what a blessing it is to engage in the ministry of prayer outside of just Sunday, outside of my mealtime. Someone's going, you, I need you guys to pray. My mother is in the hospital and she's having surgery and we could be reminded that we serve a great and big God who hears our prayers, who by the word says, by his stripes we've been healed. And we can believe in faith and something happens in our spiritual lives when we allow ourselves to be in community that encourages us to pray without ceasing. And no person engaged in community as discipleship will become disconnected from God. But many people will choose to say, I love God, but I don't love the church. And many will struggle to fully know, as a result, what it's like to draw near to God with confidence. And I know, listen, I, I'm, I, I feel like I know most of y'all here, but, you know, people listening, and I get it. You might come from a background where the church has been very harmful towards you. I'm not discounting that. It happens. But listen, no one who says, I love God, but I've got issues with the church and I'm not engaging. I have not met, in fact, I have met more people who day after day, year after year, find themselves in a downward spiral towards disconnection from God. Because cognitively they love Jesus, but in their heart they've actually divorced the bride the body of Christ. And it, it just, it's just impossible. It is impossible. I dare you to tell me that you have a thriving love for God and a divorced relationship from His bride. What you probably have is a thriving love for your idealism of who you think God is. But now I'm just preaching, so forgive me. The writer of Hebrews tells us to let us draw near to God, but he also says this, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Hmm. I'm looking at our time. We're getting done. I want to respect our time. Maybe I'll come back to this next week. Um, let me just do this point and then we'll, we'll, we'll get on with it. Uh, Maybe next week. So there's this aspect of community as discipleship that we, as a community, that is how we draw near to God. If you want to be near to God, that's the point. You do it through community. But then the writer of Hebrews also says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's see, what makes a community environment for growing as a disciple of Jesus is that a community holds on to core things. For us, this is why at every community gathering, the goal is to know the gospel and practice speaking the gospel 
to one another. It's very vital to why we gather. If we just ate, we'd all be fat. But we also like to read the word so you can remind, be reminded that gluttony is a sin. I'm just kidding. But you know, we, we study God's word. We, we read the gospel. It's the reason why we produce a discussion and study guide each week that's based on the messages at our Sunday gatherings. We want to find ourselves holding on to the things God is speaking to us through his word. I like it how one pastor put it when he wrote, there is something vital in scriptures we often miss. It's something we miss because many of us tend to read the Bible simply as a book for us as individuals. But the bulk of scripture was written to a community. It was written for the gathered people of God to hear, worship, and respond in their everyday lives. At least nine of Paul's epistles in the New Testament were addressed specifically to a church community. This is what it means when Hebrews says, let us hold on. I think one of the things that I want us to understand, and you know, this week we're going to have more opportunity for you to sign up for communities if you haven't already. is that I really want, and I'm pushing this, I want 100% of us to at least take a step towards community. Even if we've done it before at Clarity and it didn't really go very well, or blah, blah, blah. we cannot deny that the Scripture teaches us that discipleship cannot be divorced from community. I don't know about you, but Jesus paid a really great price for us to be discouraged easily when things don't go our way in regards to the pursuit of life and community with others. I just, I just think in light of all that Jesus has done, all that God has done, it's worth, it's worth it to engage in community with others. And at the end of the day, Let me just say this. If we want to be a church that God blesses, if we want to be the kind of church where through us more and more disciples are made, it starts here. It starts with us being the people of God. 